But sometimes uh, you come to discover that, hey, you know what? The words sometimes are a distraction to what I really want to say, what I re- how I really want to sing. So we just, uh, uh, it's beautiful to see everybody's focus uh, on the Lord this morning. How's everyone today? Good. Amen. God, God is so good. I, uh, you know, today I'm so glad that Doug gave me an opportunity to speak today. In fact, if we can, go ahead and open up your Bible or your phone or uh, your device where you can get into the Bible in uh, Romans chapter 1. And today's sermon is called Give Thanks. And an interesting lead up to uh, today, uh, when Pastor Doug gave me an opportunity to preach, can you hear me okay? Can you see me okay? I feel like we're missing a light. I, I feel, yeah. Can, I, can a brother get some love? Can you, can you hit those lights? Thank you. Ah, oh, I see the light. So, I knew something was off. So, um, so leading up to this, uh, Pastor Doug was saying, hey, you know, it would be a great idea if you can just jump on the sermon series in Romans, and it's great for everybody to hear another perspective of what we've already been in, what we've been speaking. And I thought, oh, wow, that's, that's really cool. You know, that's, that's great. And then, um, but all of a sudden, like, at the same time, I felt God was leading me to speak on, on gratitude. And I thought, man, and so he's going on and on. I'm thinking, okay, I got to, like, change directions here. Well, you know, I'm like, God, what am I going to do? Because I don't, I don't want, I want to honor Pastor Doug. I want to honor God. And then all of a sudden, he ended up, well, whatever the Lord leads you to do. And I was like, Phew. thank you. So, but you know what? It turns out that I actually found something very significant in the book of Romans, in chapter 1, that really is kind of like a springboard to what we're going to do, all right? So what, what I want us to bring us today is keeping in, in, in the spirit of thanksgiving is actually um, something that we ought to do, ought to look at and see the importance of expressing gratitude. Are you with me so far? And in here, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1, verse 20 through 22, he is speaking to the Romans, and he's giving them some insight, some instruction. Some instructs the Christians in Rome about thanklessness, okay? Thanklessness, and about the reality and the consequences of unbelief. So let's read it or hear it. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor God gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened, and although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And Paul here is really showing three things. I want to share that. Thank you. Three things. The first is, after making it clear that God reveals himself, even through creation, we are without excuse when it comes to our responsibility to know him and to worship him and to give thanks to him. Because there is a God. God is just saying, you know, through my creation, look at it. There is a God that created this. The second thing is, Paul wants us to understand that to deny and to honor, giving God honor and deny giving him thanks is actually sin. And, and sin has consequences. It separates us from him. And the third is this, that failure to take the time to show appreciation and gratitude is the eventual act of selfishness and ingratitude, right? So these particular people, here what Paul is trying to explain 
They knew enough about God, but they were led away by choosing to just deny him for who God was and with no expression of worship or thanks, creating unbelief, led them to this situation. They knew enough about God, but they could uh, have at least thanked him, worshipped him for the created things, to thank him simply for even just having water, for having the provision of food, to having the air that they breathe, right? But they chose not to do that. See, belief is great, but belief in God is one thing, but worship and praise and thanks to God makes it complete. Are you with that? Paul teaches us to be grateful and expresses it in so many passages in the New Testament. And one, Paul shows us something in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Paul is one of the best examples of this, of, of expressing and having gratitude regardless of the situation or the circumstance. Isn't it ironic that Paul was imprisoned, get this, not for killing Christians or being involved in having them killed. He was in prison for doing the work of God, put in prison for preaching the gospel, preaching Christ. And if anybody could have grown bitter, anybody could have grown their heart against God or be resentful or turn their back to God, it could have been Paul. Because if you think about it, think of all the things he had to go through, all of the suffering, the loss, the pain, being shackled, being imprisoned, but still maintained Joy still maintained thanks. You know, Paul might have been in prison, but he lived like a free man. Do you get that? Yes. And multiple times he was in prison and shackled and behind bars for doing God's work, not for anything else. And, and, and I love the story of when Paul and Silas were put in prison, but they didn't let the situation dictate their joy didn't dictate their thinking, didn't dictate their faith. So, you know, the background of it is that they were before a young woman who was being used for profit. They were basically, this girl was being used demonically to give people their future, fortune-telling, in other words. So Paul recognized this as a demonic activity and cast those demons out of her, and she's healed. But those that were in control of that put them in jail. But Paul and Silas in jail, rather than letting the situation, circumstance dictate them or have a condition of what's in their heart and their thinking, they began to still praise. They praised God anyhow. They worshiped God anyhow. And I, I love saying this. You've heard it to me before, but I, it's, it's been proven that you worship more and you worry less. If you praise more, you'll panic less. That was a new one. God, God gave that to me last night. I'm just going to tell you, you know. I was like, Lord, you're good. Thank you. You know, that, there's something to that. So you can go. You don't have to even quote me. That's all God. And here they began, even shackling behind jails, still, still began to praise and sing. And the shackles are off. The jails open. See, Paul is trying to teach us that there are keys through even the hardest times to still hold on to what you have to be to still live free even though you feel shackled and, and imprisoned by the circumstance and situations that you face in life Paul discovered that the keys are like contentment being joyful giving thanks to God because in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 16 it says this rejoice always how many times? always, always. one translation says have joy all the time 
and delight in your faith, be unceasing and persistent in prayer in every situation, no matter what the circumstance, be thankful and continually give thanks to God, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Now, I know I get it. Some of them might have thought, man, but you know, every situation, I think the key thing is that there are things that God ordains in life, and there's just things that are not, because life is life. And I can even hear the thought of someone saying, well, you know, I don't think I can do this Christian thing because this heartache, this adversity that's in my life, it is painful. It has torn me apart. How am I supposed to be joyful? I don't get it. But hold on. Paul encourages us to always be joyful, to hold on to that joy. Because you know what? Sometimes we let the little things rob of our joy. You know, there's so many other bigger things in life to be concerned about that we are just willing to let the little things, sweat the little things, and let that take our joy. That's, that, that's not where it should be. So in spite of the circumstances, we ought to still be joyful for who God is, that you know what, you're in the middle of the adversity, God, you can be thankful that God is going to see you through it. Paul encourages also to pray, to just always be in communication with God. And it's not necessarily the posture of prayer that you're sitting down, you're on your knees, you're laying down, but it's the whole mindset, it's the attitude, it's the atmosphere of being in prayer with God, to speaking with Him, to walk with you, and to talk with you, right? That is a wonderful thing because I feel like God just dropped this in me now because sometimes such situations that happen, you, you know, maybe it's in a discussion with someone. Okay, maybe it was an argument with someone, Right? Some of us of the natural defenses want to, for you to say something. But sometimes there's a difference. Actually, you know what? A lot of times, maybe all the time, there's a difference between what you want to say and what you ought to say. And so powerful it would be if you just take that moment and say, God, how, how should I respond versus how I want to? Because how I want to respond may not be productive the way you want this to be handled. All right, so there's a, that's a side nugget. <laughs> So Paul, not only to always be joyful, to always pray, but he encourages us to always give thanks to God. Give thanks, you know, whatever the situation. Sometimes there's mountaintop experiences and there's valley experiences. You know, uh, I love that song, Hills and Valleys. You know that song? Hills and Valleys. You know, it's the God that you're at the top. It's the God that put you there. But if you're in the valley, you are, God is still there with you. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I won't fear no evil. You know, that means I won't fear no thing because he is with you. We can be thankful that he will see us through. And Paul, he, he really shoots out or points out a real key word here, and it's the word give. So just visualize that for a second. Listen, see the word give in capital letters because you know what? It's something that we ought to do because it's one thing to have it, but it's also a different thing to do it, to give it, to express it. So saying thank you is not always enough without engaging our sincerity, engaging our gratitude. It's supposed to go together, right? You know, you say what you mean and mean what you say. But words can sometimes be empty. They could be superficial. You don't really mean it. I think sometimes we're just in the habit at the right time to sometimes say thank you. You know, maybe you're at the store. There's some kind of transaction. Something happens. And the appropriate thing at the moment is to say thank you. But, but do we really mean it? I'll use a different kind of off that for a minute. The best example of this is if you have to uh, apologize. 
Do you remember when you were a kid, something happened, you might have caused the problem, and it could have been a teacher, it could have been a parent or a grown-up that said, okay, now go to Billy and tell him that you're sorry, but you're nowhere near being sorry, right? And so all of a sudden, Billy, I'm sorry, but you know on the inside of you, you didn't mean not one word of that, right? Has, has that happened to anybody, or was it just me up in here? Okay, was it you last week? Uh, I'm just checking. So... This, this, is, this is what he wants. God, Paul encourages us. You know, there's a sincerity, there's a genuineness that we ought to have. Um, I came across an article in New York Daily News, and the headline states this. Americans say thank you so much, the phrase has lost its meaning, survey shows. The study has found that, they, that just saying thank you or thanks has lost its meaning. So basically the article is saying this, that the research found... We say thank you in a year on an average 2,000 times. So in the span of a year, an average person says thank you 2,000 times. Now, I'm going to for sure say that it's less and for sure it's more because depending on maybe the type of work you do, you're just before people, uh, business, you know, it, it is the right and the polite and the correct thing to say thank you. So maybe it's more. It's basically the, sur the survey or the research is saying that more than half of the time it claims that we don't actually mean it. So that means that the average person in the span of one day will say thank you five times. I think it's more, but they're saying it's five times. So that means two to three out of the five times, it claims that we are not actually meaning it. So maybe not necessarily here in this group, but collectively as a culture, are not meaning it two out of three out of the five times. And of the 2,000 people that surveyed, 40% admit that they don't uh, show gratitude for the thing that they are actually grateful for. And, you know, that's kind of like, oh, wow, I am grateful, but I'm not saying anything. That's as if you have a gift, okay, that you're giving somebody. You even wrap it. You put the ribbon around it. You made a nice bow, but then you don't give it to the person. So sometimes we just take for granted. Sometimes our wife, sometimes our husband, sometimes our children, sometimes our family members, our coworker, and we just don't give the gift of saying thank you. We just don't. Sometimes we don't. So... They also, a third of them say that simply they just forget to say thank you. So this just this is not a, a focus thing, a paying attention issue, right? The others state that their minds are on other things. So then it's just a matter of just forgetting, not, not doing it. And they just, they don't say thank you when they should. So I don't think that it's an issue that the words have lost their meaning, but the person really is the one in control of the authenticity of that, what you're saying, right? I believe that what happens in our culture is that there's a loss of appreciation. Because sometimes we just have so much stuff, we become so self-sufficient that we have, it, we have it all, and we are lacking nothing, and we lose appreciation. Sometimes we lose appreciation for the things that we have. Sometimes we lose appreciation for the loved ones that are in our life. And I think the culture just gets it twisted. Here's what I mean. That we replace uh, we with me. Okay, rather than thinking of others, there's always this internal thing. What about me? You know, and what's so prevalent is, and we see it all the time, you know, it's about selfies. You know, selfies. Taking a picture of yourself, right? Um, maybe we've all done it. Maybe we've all tried to do it and we're not successful. And, you know, in young people, they say that that actually can have a psychological issue because it starts to make you think that your self-worth or your self-image is, is, is based on your appearance. 
And especially for young people, that's, that's not good. You know, maybe when we get older, we kind of grow into that, get a better understanding of that. But then sometimes as grown-ups, we still think the image thing is really where our sort of worth is, but not necessarily true. So replace that we with me. We replace contentment with complaining. The culture just grows so bitter, so thinking about themselves. Complaining is so prevalent. But I believe that the conflict happens when the outcome, what happens, does not meet the expectations. Let me say it again. The conflict occurs when the outcome does not meet the expectation. Sometimes we let our preferences dictate our expectation. But how many of you know, not everything goes the way you thought. Not everything goes the way you planned. You know, this morning, the screen doesn't work. But that's okay. We still went with it. We're not getting hung up on that. You know, even with the efforts to try to correct it, didn't work. But you know what? We don't, didn't let that stop us from praising. That didn't let us stop us from coming here. We still did what we had to do. Amen? So when we don't receive the expectation of our preference, or sometimes uh, what occurs as displeasing, okay, we, there's a tendency uh, to complain, and basically there's a difference. It's not about com- complaint, because sometimes you do. There has to be a legitimate complaint about something that's going on, but the difference is about complaining. You know, somebody is just so hypercritical about something that's happening and just so fixated on that situation that they just go on and on talking. It's about being critical and about casting judgment. Um, they just go on and on and talking about it. They would use their words to just keep going on and complaining. Do you ever met across somebody like that? They just go on and on and on. Okay, okay, I get it. But you know, there's actually a thing that I came across. It's called a, a complaining threshold. You know, if you think about that, complaining threshold. So there's a threshold, and it's as if a lot of people have different places where they'll start complaining. You know, somebody that when something doesn't go right, they're just quick to complain. Right? And then there's all those on the other whole side of it that, you know, they're really patient, they really go with it, and then all of a sudden when it gets to the point that they're ready to complain, they complain. And the other thing that's really interesting is that there's a thing such as chronic complaining, like a psychological thing where the, the brain has actually been rewired because of this type of behavior to, to just be in a mode of complaining. The brain is already wired to complain. And then there's another condition called venting. Somebody that's venting to complain, it's not like you, what necessarily what you think, like, hey, I just got to get this out. It's that that person is seeking validation for how they feel. So they're waiting for somebody to agree with what they're saying. And then that frustration comes in when someone doesn't validate it. So imagine that. Then they complain even more. They vent more. So we don't want any more ventilation. So, you know, interestingly enough, I, I worked in a place where the boss was just so fed up with complaining that this was the rule. He says, if you're going to come to me and you're going to complain, you have to come with that complaint with two solutions to it. And you know that ended the complaining. You know? So if you're a business owner, you might want to try that. It works. Been there. So here, here, here we are. You and I, in the span of one day, there are many opportunities to complain. But complaining, you know, being hypercritical about something, being so fixated on that thing, it doesn't help. It doesn't do us any good. It doesn't solve the problem. It just makes the problem bigger because it affects your mood. It, it affects your disposition. It affects your thinking. It affects your heart. And instead of complaining, you know, sometimes we can pause 
and ask God, God, how should I respond to this? You know, how, how should I respond to this? Sometimes we can just even go to God day after day just to help cultivate and create just an attitude of uh, expressing gratitude, living it out, living in it. And it's just not an occasional expression of thanks, but it's a continual lifestyle of giving thanks. Gratitude is more than just saying thank you. It's developing an attitude of gratitude. When we finally get that, we can then be thankful and grateful for every single thing that God is doing in our life, day after day. So, again, when we don't receive the expectation of our preference or dissatisfied, there's a tendency to just focus on that problem. It's just like you don't see anything else but that situation. We have to step back and really look at the whole thing because you have much more going for you than you have against you. You know, even someone who creates and paints a masterpiece on the wall, it was a masterpiece. You know, the person who paints it is the one who knows where all the blemishes are, but we won't. We just see a beautiful painting, a beautiful piece of art. You know, and I don't see, has anybody ever thrown away a diamond, at least intentionally? No. Because there's value in that diamond. But do you know that if you look at the jeweler's, whatever that thing's called, and you look really inside of it, you're going to find a blemish, you're going to find a fault, you're going to find a problem. But we don't look at diamonds like that. We, we step back and we see the beauty of the diamond. And, you know, you can look at it and turn it and like, wow, look at different facets of it. So when I go this way, and especially when... Um, a lady is engaged. They're looking at it all day long. Like, look at how beautiful that is. Not looking at the blemish. There's value in that diamond. You don't throw it away because there's a blemish in it. You don't look and you're not fixated on the problem. You're looking at the beauty of it because there's so much more going for that diamond than what's wrong with it. And do you know, I believe, I feel like God sees us that way. That you know what? Each of us have a fault. We have a blemish. It's covered by the blood of Christ, thankfully. But that God, when we make a mistake, he doesn't toss us away. And then we repeat that mistake. He doesn't toss us away. And then when we repeat that same mistake a third time, he doesn't throw us away. When we repeat that mistake a fifth time, a tenth time, twentieth time, a hundredth time, he doesn't throw us away. He doesn't toss us away. You know, he sees, when he sees us and he creates us, what he's looking for is the reflection of himself. That we're made in his image. God is so wonderful and so beautiful and so loving that he sees us that way. He's not going to toss us away. He loves us too much to do that. Amen? That's my daughter. So, uh, that's going to last for the rest of my life. You know, I... Sometimes we let an occasion, like say you've been on a vacation, you've been on a trip. Something just didn't happen unexpectedly. You know, we have a decision. We could either just concentrate on what went wrong, or we can concentrate on just the whole experience of the trip, of the vacation. Um, you know, I took my two older boys on a trip to New York, and we were just kind of going to different destinations. You know, one of them was like an amusement park, one was like the Baseball Hall of Fame, and then discovered that there's caverns. You know, there's like under, underground natural creations. And so throughout this whole trip, I'm taking pictures on my phone like we would all do. And so this was several years back. Um, and my son Jordan at the time, he would have been 10. And he, we 
taking all these pictures, and I just want to capture as much as I can of it, from, you know, to, to record it, in a sense. We, we all do that. But unfortunately, something happened to my phone and the card that was in it that I lost those pictures. I lost probably more than half of those pictures. I was pretty disappointed, and I think I was expressing it. Enough to my son said something. I don't know if I was exactly complaining. Maybe I was venting. And so I'm just so disappointed and expressing my displeasure with losing these pictures. And then here's Jordan. He says, well, Dad, he goes, you know, we lost the pictures, but we still have our memories. Yeah. And, you know, that did something for me. At that moment, it was such a good reminder, such a good lesson to just go with it. Don't let that spoil the whole trip. You know, there was so much good stuff in that trip that that situation should not have ruled the whole experience. And uh, you know what, 10-year-old, you know, I learned something from a 10-year-old. It was a good reminder. And uh, um, that, that just made a world of difference. And I think that's what we should take. Because, you know, the complaining takes the joy out of it. It takes the joy out of a vacation that might have been delayed. It might take, you know, a flat tire on your trip might have taken the joy. Don't let it take the joy, right? You'll still get there. You know, maybe there's something in a relationship that, hey, listen, don't let that take away the joy of what you have. You know, maybe there's something in your home, in your house. Don't let that take you, rob you of your joy. There's so much more going for you than against you. You know, this makes me think about God, about how God, our expectations on God providing for us. Because God's gifts alone doesn't bring us joy. Just the gifts alone does not. It's, it's God's gift will bring you joy if you joined it with your gratitude. If you allowed this exchange of God's gift and your gratitude to be joined together, that's joy. You may not always get what you prefer, but God is faithful to provide. Amen? And for that, we ought to be grateful for what we receive, what we have, and receive the joy that it brings. Now, stay with me. You know, you can be surrounded by all sorts of blessings, all kinds of opportunities, all kinds of provisions, all kinds of goodness, and have everything you need and everything you want. But if you don't know how to give thanks, if you don't exchange his blessing with your gratitude, your heart will turn ungrateful. An ungrateful heart, it turns into a prideful heart. Are you with that? And if you don't give him the praise, your life will not be filled with joy because all the things you think you have is a result of what you think you accomplished. And that's not how God wants us to see it. So perhaps the very thing that God wants us to look at is not the level of our accomplishments or the level of our accumulation of things, but God wants us to look at the level of our appreciation for what we have, appreciation for what we have to make the most out of it. Because not much is gained if you grow in his gifts, but not grow in your gratitude. I believe they go hand in hand. And joy comes when we learn to appreciate what we have, and joy comes when we are, uh, the gratitude grows with the growth of his gifts. Amen? And here's another point. I believe that attitude applies to everything. Attitude is everything. And putting the right attitude into action. Stay with me. 
Studies have shown that the happy people are not the ones who have the best of things, but happy people are the ones who make the most of everything they have. Did you catch that? There's a difference. Look at those that you believe to seem to have it all. They're not necessarily happy. They might necessarily be full of joy. They might seem to have everything and everything is going for them, but that doesn't necessarily equal that they're joyful or happy. One of my favorite authors, speakers, is John Maxwell. Just somebody I discovered early on because it really kind of honed me in on, on a lot of things in, in the time in my life. And he has a famous quote. It says, your, your attitude determines your altitude, right? And I want to add that your attitude determines your gratitude. <laughs> you know, really what's, what that quote is saying is that you may not be in control of what happens to you, but you can control your attitude. And the, the thing that's even further than that is that you might not even control the outcome of a situation, but you can control of how you come out of it because of your attitude. And attitude is everything. And God knows that. God wants to speak to us about that. Right? God wants us to have the right attitude. He wants us at the right level, to the right perspective of things. I, uh, I was asking uh, Bill, virtual, some questions about an airplane. Because I started thinking when I was preparing this that, oh yeah, airplanes, they fly at different altitudes. But I'm wondering if there's an ideal altitude. And I you know, know nothing about it. You know, we learned last Sunday that we not be qualified, but we're called, right, Dave? Right? So here he's telling me that, yeah, there's, there is an ideal. And so he goes on to explain that, hey, if the plane is heavy, flying at a lower altitude is ideal. Why? Because it's efficient. And then if the plane is not as heavy, you can fly higher because it's efficient. And then he goes on to say, if you have the wind behind you, that makes it even more efficient. And if there's turbulence... Sometimes you just have to roll with it. Sometimes you have to just go above it, below it. In our case, sometimes we just have to go through turbulence in life, right? But you know what I think is encouraging? Is that if we have the right attitude and we have the right altitude, and especially if we have the wind of the Holy Ghost behind us, moving us, how good that is. How, what a blessing that is. There it is. God wants us to have the right attitude. But you know... The right attitude itself is not complete. It's like, oh, good, I got it. No, we don't have it yet. Even though that's the great starting point, the attitude has to have action. There has to be action to our attitude. Gratitude has to be learned and has to be put into practice, and it has to be intentional. We're just not naturally grateful. If you want proof, look at a two-year-old. Okay? A two-year-old, you know, when you give them something, you're not going to always get a thank you. Have, have you seen that? Raise your hand if you've seen that. You know, they're not always, always going to give you thanks. And so you know what? Being a responsible, good parent, you know, what do you do? You're going to try to teach them to be thankful. So sometimes you'll give them that <clears throat> cough. And you might even say, what do you say? <laughs> Yay. All right, give a hand right there. That proves my point. Thank you. We can have an altar call now and go home. So <laughs> to say thank you, you're not always going to get that. And sometimes they, they, they mix it up and they'll say, you're welcome. You know, it's like, oh, wait. And that's cute, right? But it's not cute when a grown-up forgets to say thank you, right? Have you ever been to the store? You ever go to the mall or somewhere and there's like two double doors and you'll see somebody else walking. So what do you do? The polite thing is to open the door and let them walk through, right? And then, have you ever just had some person didn't say thank you? 
Does that drive you crazy? He's like, wait a minute. They didn't say thank you. How rude, you know? And you know what's even worse than that is when there's a group that you hold the door and they all go through and none of them say thank you. It's like, I can't believe this. Now it's a group of rude people. And you know what's worse than that is when somebody walks through and then they don't open the other set of doors for you, right? You know what's worse than that is when the whole group does, walks by you, doesn't say thank you, and then they don't, none of them hold the door open for you on the next set of doors, right? They don't say thank you, you know? So, you know, by before Christ, I would have wanted to pull them back and teach them some manners, right? You ever feel like that, you know? But you know how I said earlier, there's something that you want to say and you ought to say. Sometimes there's things you you want to do and you ought to do. So, you know, but nowadays we have to turn the other cheek and all that. But, you know, that's the right way to do it. So it's not cute when a, when a grown-up forgets to say thank you. So we put an amen on that. <laughs> so gratitude has to become in our lives an intentional thing. We've got to be focused on that because that's what God wants us to do. If we don't have just the cycle in our heart, in our mind, that we're grateful for the people around us, for the things that are in our lives, for the job that we have, for the relationship that we have, for the home that we have, because we always sometimes think it's greener on the other side, and it really isn't, right? Because you got to make where you are green. That's where that's at. It has to be intentional. It has to be an intentional action of your heart. We have to put the attitude of gratitude into practice, you know, the Bible says that faith without works is what? Dead. Dead. There's no life in that. In the same way, if we don't have the gratitude and we don't express it, it doesn't outward, it doesn't have a work, it, it, it doesn't have any life to it. So what is something that we can do? If I can give us some homework, there's something that I believe we can do. Here's the idea. So, you know, at the end of the day, how you end your day is, can be as equally as important as how you start your day. And every, every day, I think there's something that we can do. We can take on our journal or our notebook and think about the, the span of the day. And think about how God might have had a hand in, in helping with some situation or circumstance in your life. It could be small. It could be large. And you just jot that stuff down. And what you end up doing is you have a list to show you of how God is faithful, even in the little things, and to prove to you, to show you, that God has a love and a concern for the day-to-day things in your life. And you know that what that does is kind of like a practicing. It's like a growing of, of thanks, of giving thanks, a growing of giving gratitude, of having a heart that's overflowing with gratitude. That's what that does. It's a training. And then what you'll end up doing is that you'll have like a, uh, you'll start being able to look for these things more often because you'll start to think at the end of my day, I, I'm going to be writing these things down. So uh, you'll be able to watch for these things and how God has really helped you. And they can be very simple. It can be very big, significant things and everything in between. You know, in Psalms 107, verse 2, it says, uh, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Other translations say in different ways. I'll give you examples. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story, those he redeemed from the hand of the foe. Everyone the Lord has rescued from trouble should praise him. Repeat these words in praise to the Lord, all whom have been saved. You know, if there's something to be thankful to God for, we should say so. If there's something that we should worship God about, we should say so. If there's something to praise God for, we should say so. 
say so. Say something. Even the simplicity of the two words, thank you, coupled with your sincerity and your gratefulness, counts. And you know, one of the reasons why, and I think we need to get this, one of the reasons why the Bible encourages us to praise, it is an opportunity to say thank you to God. It's an opportunity to articulate, to express thanks to God. And I believe that's why God wants us, he encourages us, the Spirit encourages us, why Paul encourages us, why people in the Bible encourages us to praise him. Something wonderful and powerful happens when we praise the Lord. You know, we teach teach children to say thank you, not just to say it at the right times, right? But it's the idea is to learn gratitude, being thankful, have appreciation, have a sense of, of gratefulness for the things that you have. And the best way for them to learn it is to see it because we model it. They see it. So a good question is, is when was the last time that we really gave an expression of thanks to God? Amen? When was the last time we did that? Like, thank him even for the small things. You know, are you, are you able to lift up a finger? Everybody do that with me. Just lift up your finger for a second. Are you able to lift up your arm? Yeah? You lift up both arms? Are you able to tap your foot? I mean, you can just be thankful. God, I can do these things. Can we be thankful for that we have water, that we have a home, do we have clothes? Even if they're out of style, we have clothes. Shoes, we have shoes. We can walk here. We drove here or we took a ride here. We have these things. These are the things that are really from God ultimately. You know, give thankful that we have food. And if you're like me, you could even skip a few meals. We have everything we need, right? You see, joy, happiness is not about the accumulation of stuff, but it's the appreciation of the stuff. And sometimes we just go, get so busy trying to go after stuff that we forget the one who provides the stuff. And we have that in reverse. And we kind of learn that because of our culture, because of media, because of even the inclination of the flesh. Putting all that together, that's what happens. And the reality of this, we are not to be a product of the culture. We're to be a profit to the culture. Because we're supposed to stand out and be different because there's a different way. There's a better way. Amen? There's a better way for that. Thank you, Lord. And I, I want us to close with this this morning. If we can all just stand. The Psychology Today magazine published an article. It was titled, Seven Significantly Proven Benefits of Gratitude. One of the, one of the snapshots of this article, it says that gratitude reduces a multitude of toxic emotions from envy, resentment, to frustration, to regret. And Robert Emmons, a leading gratitude researcher, never knew you can even research gratitude, so there's something there. He concluded that multiple studies on the link between gratitude and well-being. His research confirmed that gratitude effectively increases happiness and reduces depression. And for just a moment, I want us to try something. Will you work with me? I want you at the count of three, to say thank you. Ready? One, two, three. Thank you. I want you now to take that word and express it to God, and I want you to think of the thing that you could be the most grateful for or the several things that you can be grateful for. And at the count of three, I want you to put that all together with the sincerity of your heart to express thanks to God. Are you ready? And say it loud. Ready? One, two, three. Thank, thank you. you. Say it again. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. Say it like that. Thank you. 
If you're Spanish, muchas gracias. Did that feel good? I don't know. Maybe the scientists are onto something that the Bible has already been telling us. That there is a correlation between well-being and having a grateful heart. But sometimes we get the heart hardened, right? And I just need us to, God to speak to us. I know that collectively we're hearing something, but individually we're hearing something. And as we proceed in this song, I want to let somebody know today that you could have lost everything, but if you have Jesus, you've gained everything. So at this very moment, while we, we still have time, plenty of time, that God wants to speak to you and listen. You know, if it means even just bowing your heads and closing your eyes, I encourage you to do that. And let's see where the Lord leads us in the next few minutes.